when we think about 2023, we really expect it to be a difficult year. As the global economy, the downturn progresses, we continue to have the factors of recession, inflation, geopolitical turmoil, and talent shortages. Aligning your organization to a strategy that will help you mitigate external internal risks, it's difficult, but it's going to have to happen. Welcome to the Hackett Group's Business Acceleration Podcast. Week after week, you'll hear from top experts on how to avoid obstacles, manage detours, and celebrate milestones on the journey to world-class performance. Hello, I'm John Van Decker, your host for today's session. And my guests today include Jim O'Connor, Advisory Practice Leader for North America, and Martijn Geerling, the Advisory Practice Leader for Europe. In late 2022, the Hacker Group asked executive management folks in finance, human resources, information technology, procurement, supply chain, and global business services about their strategic priorities for 2023. We inquired about each function and enterprise-wide priorities and the anticipated general business environment for 2023. The resulting report analyzes and consolidates findings for common issues between business services functions and GBS organizations. Today, I'll be guiding the discussion, providing context as needed. So let me get started. Jim, can you give us a brief summary of some of the main findings from the survey? Sure, John. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Excited to talk about this. When we think about 2023, we really expect it to be a difficult year. As the global economy, the downturn progresses, we continue to have the factors of recession, inflation, geopolitical turmoil, and talent shortages. In some ways, it's similar to last year. I published a study around these four threats last year and how to respond but they're really actually exasperated and heightened. So aligning your organization to a strategy that will help you mitigate external internal risks, it's difficult, but it's gonna have to happen. And when we look to the study from last year, we see that there's a lot of focus on technology. So technology has increased in its priority to address these challenges. People are looking to it as a lever They're also looking to the cloud. The study shows over 40% of organizations have legacy solutions that must be replaced. And so cloud's kind of the only game in town. We actually think all this is good news in some ways, as we highlighted in our conference last year, digital leaders significantly outperform their peers. 30% lower GNA costs overall, not to mention improved capabilities like agility and scenario planning. So if you, if you think that that's a priority, that's good news. The watch out is, is more technology projects occur. There's a lot of challenges that companies fall into, conflicting priorities, budget, and that can hold them back from achieving those goals. Martin, do you see differences between this and previous year's studies? Yeah, I, th- I think we have to bear in mind that the economic backdrop to what organizations face in 2023 is dramatically different from what it was in 2022. So you just have to go back in our minds 12 months or, or, or more. Most of the conversation then was focused on 
returning to growth for uh, and, and growth to return after the end of the pandemic. Companies were dealing with issues such as uh, coming back from work from home to return to the office and, and getting back on track with their digitization projects. So, so that has changed dramatically. Uh, now we're talking in the study about recession risk. And what's interesting, if you look at when we did the study at the end of uh, November, December last year, companies were in their planning cycle and basically getting ready to plan for that kind of recessionary pressure. And now where we are in uh, end of January this year, we still don't quite know if that recession is going to uh, to hit. So the economic backdrop has changed, but there's still a lot of volatility in the market. And whether we are prepared for the right things, that, that's still anybody's guess. Martijn, uh, before Jim gave insight into the main issues companies expect to face in 2023, what are the key responses they plan for to address these issues? So some of the things that, that organizations are, are changing uh, are responses to that economic situation. So a key concern for, for, for many companies is, and, and a focus is, ensure supply continuity. What's happened in, in, in 2022, following the disruption from, from COVID in terms of supply chain ac- across the globe, the next big factor is the Russia-Ukraine conflict. So reducing supply chain reduction is, is critical to protect revenue uh, and, and retain profitability. Inflationary pressure and addressing that is a key concern. So, so, so last year, the expectation was from, from many economists that uh, inflation would be transitory and would go away. So we see now that that is not the case. So so companies are addressing that, for example, by things like addressing work and capital management. Jim, is there anything you'd like to add to these priority responses? You know, John, I think Martin, my peer and coworker, is has covered it pretty well. I, I would say, you know, just there's since we even did this survey, one of the strategies was just good old fashioned cost reduction, and that seems to be entering more heavily. And and then to Martine's point, you know, fighting that inflation, we see not just cost reduction, but we see people really going after viewing that as an opportunity and perhaps how can I secure price increases or how can I really leverage my supply chain, as he mentioned. So I thought they were excellent responses. Well, you both work with our clients across finance, HR, procurement, supply chain, and GBS in North America and Europe, respectively. I'm going to ask you both this question, maybe starting with Jim. Do you see differences in issues and responses in your respective regions? Jim, what do you see? Well, John, that's a tough one. But for sure, clients, they're challenged out there. And while I'm cognizant, there are no doubt regional differences that Martine will raise. When I think about our U.S. clients, In general, they're surprisingly resilient. Despite some of the actions we just talked about, companies continue to spend on key projects, particularly talent and digital and cloud. And they're revisiting their strategy and their scenario planning to be opportunistic. So the challenges are the same, talent, inflation, economy, supply chain, unpredictable geopolitical risk. But you definitely see some differences in an approach based on industry or by function. So if you were to take cost cutting, you know, you pull out the news and it feels like every day there's someone new in the tech sector that's being pretty proactive and aggressive in staff reductions. You'll see Amazon, Facebook, Lyft, you know, Salesforce, all, all those tech companies 
that's different than say some of the core manufacturing, although you are starting to now see some layoffs spread to some of the other corporate giants like 3M or Dow. So there's a difference depending on your industry and what you're trying to accomplish. Certainly we recognize that's important, and but we would encourage clients to look at non-FTE savings as well, like working capital and sourcing. All that said, you know, there are some clients in certain industries. I've got a CPG client where they're planning on growth and there's significant investments in their HR and their procurement functions. So we see quite a bit of difference by industry. That's an example of cost cutting. If you look across functions, you'll see that you know, HR and procurement are actually up procurement significantly because that's a major play and a major strategy, as Martine mentioned, around around the supply chain, whereas companies are cutting finance. They, there's higher expectations, but the costs are going down. The survey showed about 2%. Or even if you look at workforce, you'll see a difference in how people are approaching things. So if you're looking at financial services companies, tech companies for the most part, they're generally continuing to work remotely, or maybe they have a small hybrid strategy where they're coming in a day a week. But here in the Midwest, where I'm based, and you see a lot of hardcore manufacturing, industrial, CPG companies, they're asking their employees to be on site. I have a construction engineering client where all the way a year or so back, they've been back five days a week, and they feel that's important from a strategic point of view. So a long way to say, I definitely see differences. You see differences by function. And you see differences by industry as companies kind of look at the strategy they have and apply it most for them. Net-net, though, we see clients really, I think the more progressive clients are viewing this as an opportunity. And we see leaders in the U.S. moving forward with a mindset of, hey, we're going to reduce costs. We have to, but we're going to do that smartly. We're going to find ways to save dollars. We're going to instill cost control and working capital discipline, but we're not going to disrupt critical projects, particularly digital transformation. And then we see companies being bold and creative in how they're tackling their labor challenges. So work from anywhere, yes, but align that with your strategy, culture, and clients. And then finally, we see people kind of getting a little bit more operational. So revisit your strategy and be ready to shift, but operational excellence is everything. And uh, I think Drucker said culture eats strategy for breakfast, but I like to say execution eats them both for lunch, dinner, and drinks. In short, that's kind of what we're seeing on the U.S. side. Now, Martine, do you see differences in the issues and company responses in Europe? Yeah, I I think Jim laid it out well there. I I think there are a number of things that probably have a slightly different emphasis or impact European companies differently. So as I agree with what Jim is saying, we, we, we see there's an expectation of, of recession, whether that's coming true or not, we, we don't actually know quite yet. We do see from the study that budgets are constrained more so than they were last year when companies were planning for more investment. At the same time, we see that companies are still willing to spend on digital transformation. That That's also something that echoes in conversation with, with my clients. The long term we see in the enabling functions, so the typical areas that we work in, finance, HR, procurement, IT, that investment in digitization is seen as a good thing, both because it drives productivity enablement, but also because it helps to generate more value from inside, for example, in, in, in all the functions that we work in. 
if you look at the, the, the short-term issues, and that's where I think the, um, the European flavor comes in, things like inflation, like wage inflation, I think the impact in the U.S. has been faster simply because labor laws allow you to, to, to flex that uh, more in the U.S. Than, than in Europe. Now we see that there, there's a potential for a wage price spiral starting in, uh, in, in Europe. One of the conversations I've entered in as well, which I think is more applicable to Europe than it is to U.S., is and, and in the shared services and GPS area that I work in, is labor arbitrage going to go away between uh, U.S. and India, uh, Europe and India, and, and other local locations? And the answer is no, not really, because inflationary pressure that we've seen on wages in the U.S. and Europe is also applicable in, in, in those offshore markets. So that is not necessarily going to go away. We, we do see with, with some of the Eastern European markets where uh, inflation has been uh, significantly higher that uh, some of that is going to go away, but you're still talking about decades out. Another thing is because of the U.S. dollar strength, that issue plays less in the U.S. market than in European markets. So inflationary pressure is, is, is different. I think the proximity to the war in the Ukraine certainly focuses the mind of, of, of Europeans more in terms of business continuity and, and, and risk and, and supply chain diversification. So it's a topic that uh, certainly is a boardroom level discussion that you do not necessarily see uh, perhaps much in the news, but it's certainly something that in conversations and work with that we do with our clients, that kind of geopolitical risk is an issue that is now on the agenda, which wasn't so much before. And uh, certainly with my European clients, it's something that's part of the conversation. Okay, thanks, Martijn. I'm going to ask this next question to both of you. We'll start with Martijn, and Jim, I'm going to ask you to build upon his answer. But the Hackett Group advocated the view that any company can become digital world-class. Can you briefly explain what does that mean and why is it difficult for companies to achieve that aim? And the second part to that would be, were there any particular issues raised in this study that will make this particularly difficult, that is achieving digital world-class in 2023? Martin? Yeah, so di digital world-class is really the evolution of the traditional measure that we have in, in Hackett between world-class performance and, and peer. And so world-class or now digital world-class performance means those companies that outperform others, both in their industry and across industries, with a focus on both the, the experience, the, the effectiveness, and the, the operating excellence that, that a company delivers. So we measured this by the numbers, both in terms of outperformance on, on operational excellence and, and, and value generation. And we see that getting to that performance is, is difficult. The underlying approach that we have is best practice benchmarking to determine the difference. So the, the, the notion of benchmarking leads you to understand the gaps between peer and digital world-class performance. And the way to bridge that gap in simple terms is to adopt best practices. Now, if that was, was easy, then every company would be digital world-class. And the reality and, and what we see is, is, is that, that that's not the case. So adoption of best practices is not a tick-the-box exercise. It's embracing those best practices and then implementing it both in terms of people, process, technology, and other elements of, of the organizational service delivery model. And if you embrace that whole, then you can get to digital world-class performance. So Jim, is there anything in 2023 that's going to make this difficult to achieve digital world-class? Yeah, so I think just the 2023 for sure, but to build on Martine's comments, it's difficult in general. And earlier I talked about kind of 
refreshing your strategy, but moving to an operational and implementation mindset. And that's what it takes. It takes hard work to get there to realize the savings of the digital world class and the capabilities that digital world class companies have. If you look at our study and we ask people, you know, hey, what are some of the challenges you're going to face? There's kind of two macro areas we asked. One was what are some of your just top risk? And many of them we've already talked about, but obviously de depending on the degree of economic downturn and the impact around talent shortages and inflation to a specific industry, that can make it tough. But then assuming you have that roadmap and you're pursuing that digital world-class status, just some of the, we asked folks, what are some of those challenges that you feel are ahead that are gonna hinder your ability to do that? And a lot of them are not surprising, but important to know. One is insufficient budgets or unrealistic project timeframes. We run into that on every project, right? 2023 or not. Uh, another is competing or conflicting priorities. So with all those macro trends we talked about and threats, how are we going to prioritize around this? And this to me always comes down to what I call with clients, the key people problem. Every time a client is undergoing a transformation, pursuing anything across a number of functions or enterprise-wide from a transformation point of view, you get to a point where there's only so many people in the company that you can tap to make that happen. So you've really got to prioritize because you're going to need those key six to eight people executing to that priority. So they've told us budgets. They've told us conflicting functional priorities. There were a number of others, but I thought another really interesting one was lack of the right talent. So even if you invest in that technology, the digital side, even if you stay focused, having the right people there to solve those business problems is going to be a, a challenge amidst this market. Thank you both, Jim and Martin, for joining me today. That concludes our podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening. You can find the audio helpful resources, and a transcript of each episode at podcast.thehackagroup.com. If you liked this episode, please share it. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. We'd welcome your feedback by tapping the rating on this or any episode, or send us an email at podcast at thehackagroup.com. The Hackett Group is a global leader in defining and enabling world-class performance. Learn how we can assist with your improvement journey at www.thehackagroup.com. Thank you.